1: Well, everybody, it is uh, the Blue Gold Report. We're back and ready for action. Mike Rags with Todd Burrell is ready to break down all things Notre Notre Dame sports. However, we are going to deal with football a lot today. And as always, the Blue Gold Report brought to you by D.L. McComb & Son Funeral Homes. And, of course, I want to remind you, wherever you find us to download this podcast, make sure you rate us, like us, leave a comment, let us know what you think of the show. We've got lots to do, including, I'm going to break down some defensive stuff, including uh, defensive lineman Jerry. Tillery and where his standing is with this team his senior year. Uh, Todd had a chance to talk with um, the, the defensive coordinator Clark Lee at one of the press conferences right after spring ball. Uh, we'll uh, see what he had to say too. And Todd was nice enough to break down the all time BK offensive team. That means everyone now. You, uh, Todd, well, let's bring him in now and I'll ask him questions about this. Todd Burledge from Blue Gold Illustrated, lead writer for all things Notre Dame sports, including football. He he was working on the yearbook uh, and. Got Got to talk to. You. Got a great story on Jerry Tillery, which is why we're going to break him down a little bit. But Todd, this all offensive team that you've uh, compiled here. This is only his recruits. Is that what you did?
2: What I did was you had to play two full seasons under Brian. Kelly. So he didn't necessarily recruit some of these. guys. Correct. Okay. I go ahead and put. I couldn't decide where exactly to do it, where to cut it off. So a guy like Kyle Rudolph, we only played right. one year for him. He was ineligible. And once again, this is all open for debate. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is this is, <laughs>
1: this, is, this, is the, only. this is an opinion. Yes, this is fact
2: this is very much a june opinion piece. <laughs> it's
1: true i hope like you know i hope we add to this list i hope we eliminate everybody on this list and add a whole exactly, new squad exactly. so uh, let's see what happens we'll do that later on in the show and uh we've got and speaking of the defense uh, even in the future it's getting stronger and stronger with another name that todd needs to learn how to say yeah how about that <laughs> Uh, But we'll get to that in a bit. As we start every show, uh, we do some blue gold nuggets, and yes, we will do a. a, a, We'll look back at one of the greatest blue gold nuggets of all time, which was last week, and kind of recap what happened at the Preakness. So, Todd, why don't you get us started here? Yeah,
2: as far as I as far this is all I have other than football. Here, the Jimmy V Classic lineup was. Released this week on the women's side, and surprise, surprise, we have a marquee matchup with Notre Dame facing off against UConn. That'll be a lot of fun. That's December yes. 2nd at Purcell Pavilion here. That's local. a huge get. That's going to be awesome. 4 p.m. Yeah. It'll be on ESPN when the time comes here. Uh, interesting. These two sides have met every year since 1996. It is probably the best rivalry. I well, it is the best rivalry in women's college basketball. There's no doubt about it. Um, according to one way too early top 25 poll that I saw, Notre Dame is ranked number one coming in to the season, and UConn is number four, which was a little bit surprising. Obviously, last year they played a regular season game. Notre Dame led by they led after three quarters, but ended up losing that game, 80-71. But got the revenge in the semifinal. Rike Ogimboale. With her game winner, ninety-one eighty-nine in the semis, national semis, kind of interesting. Rags. one more one more point on this. Last year made eight. Okay, in the last ten years, let's put it this way: in the last ten years, UConn has been beaten fourteen times. Okay, only fourteen times in ten years. That's pretty amazing, right there. Eight of those losses have come to Notre Dame.
1: That's un that's unreal. If you think about their dominance in all of that sport and uh, that. It's hard to believe.
2: Yeah, only... Maybe last year shouldn't have been as big a surprise as it was in that Final Four. Yeah, considering Notre Dame played them really well in that regular season game and just kind of choked it up uh, late, but I uh, thought that was kind of interesting. 14 losses, 8 them to Notre Dame in the last 10 years. thought that was kind of cool. Uh, moving on to a couple contract notes here. Let me find it. Zach Martin, obviously the offensive guard for the Dallas Cowboys, now had a wonderful career here at Notre Dame. Check this out, Rags. He's just signed a six year contract extension. Um, he's 27 years old. Six year contract extension for $84 million, wow. 40 of it guaranteed. He is now the highest paid guard in the history of the NFL. Obviously, not surprising when you're throwing those kind of numbers out. He's a great player. He's already, he's been in the league for four years. He's a four-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro. Now, he didn't
1: go to OTAs, right? He was kind of waiting to see what happens with, I think he was waiting to see what happens with the contract, and uh, now, you know, they got to wait anyway now for another (laughs) couple of weeks to practice again. But I I was, I don't think he was threatening holdout, but he
2: really wants, no, no, he wants to finish his career in Dallas, is what he's saying all along. But yeah, this has been kind of an ongoing battle, uh, this contract thing, as, as often happens. But uh 16th overall pick in the 2014 draft. He's never missed a start. And that's I think, unbelievable. I think that's uh, an impressive number there as well. And another uh, con- contractual note here I thought that was interesting. Jaron Jones, who played defensive line here at Notre Dame, a lot of people told me when he was at Notre Dame, dude, you're going to be better off if you were an offensive player, offensive lineman. Well, guess what? The New York Giants signed him to a three-year, $1.7 million contract which is five hundred fifty-five thousand dollars annually for three years, uh, to be to play offensive tackle. That's unreal. Yeah. And that, that I thought that was kind of Well, cool. God
1: knows they've been struggling there for the longest time for protecting Eli Manning, but uh that is uh, pretty interesting stuff.
2: Yeah, I thought, you know, they're just gonna kinda give him a trial, but a yeah. three-year contract, so they're, they're investing into this. Well, a you little know, bit.
1: football contracts are as good as, you know, the thing I just did in the
2: bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, he was an undrafted free agent in two thousand seventeen. Uh on the transfer note, we mentioned C.J. Sanders' last show going to SMU. Well, cornerback Nick Watkins, uh, 6'1", 205-pounder, often injured here at Notre Dame. He actually only played in 15 games. Uh, he's transferring to Houston. Um, he said this was very much a business decision as far as anything because he, he has his Notre Dame degree. He's right. gonna, it's, it's a grad transfer for a year for him. has his degree. He wants to make some contacts around the Dallas area. For his for his future endeavors, so probably smart. Still, has, uh, this will be his last year of eligibility. He had 34 total tackles here at Notre Dame, nine pass up breakups, nine pass breakups, and one interception. So that was kind of interesting. Another transfer note. Okay, if you remember, Deion McIntosh and C.J. Holmes, the two running backs that were dismissed from the the team, it's been a lot of rumblings that perhaps one or both might make their way back onto the roster it won't be Dion McIntosh because he has now transferred to East Mississippi Community College. It's a JUCO school. It was the school that was featured on Netflix, a documentary called Last Chance U. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, He was pretty good as a sophomore backup last year at running back. He was third on the team with 368 rushing yards, had five TDs against North Carolina, 10 carries, 128 yards, and two TDs. So uh, he was sent home from the Citrus Bowl and then ultimately dismissed from the team. C.J. Holmes, still some rumblings that maybe he'll make his way back onto the team. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. He was the cat that was, got in trouble with Stefferson for shoplifting out here in the UPM Mall and those are your Blue Gold Nuggets. Boy, that
1: running back is the most intriguing position on this team really this year. There's not even close. Uh, Alright, uh, Todd wanted me to bring up again this uh, Triple Crown anomaly with Notre Dame. Now, last week I told you to root for Justify and if you missed last week's show, shame on you but here's why. Uh, and it's good. Justify won the Triple Crown. That's good news for Notre Dame fans. Five of the 11 national championships that Notre Dame has won, they've won when there was a Triple Crown winner. 30, <laughs> 43, 46, 1973, and 1977. Notre Dame averages nine wins per season when there's a Triple Crown winner, and has lo- only lost 10 games total those 12 years That's that crazy. there's been a Triple Crown. So it's great news. In 2015, American Farrell won the Triple Crown. The Fighting Irish were 10-3. and They fell to Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl that year, but they were oh so close. And then the one year, a couple years ago, when when they made the National Championship, that was when, uh, I forget which horse was one win away. Was had two-thirds of the Triple Crown and loss of the Belmont. So, uh, you know, overall record they are 108-10 and 5. <laughs>
2: I love that stat. So, uh, I made you dig that back. up. Five
1: national championships, six undefeated seasons, and seven top four finishes. So it's good news that Justify won the Triple Crown at Belmont last week, and they, and he won it going away. And he let, and and in second place was a football player's name, if that means anything. It was Gronkowski. So uh, all reasons that uh, the future is bright. Remember, Notre Dame plays uh, in, in coming up uh, twelve games, and uh, so by average they should go ten and uh, ten and two.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Justify, thank
1: you very much. Uh, Pencil it in. I put it in pen. Why not? We're getting a little (laughs) ahead of ourselves here as we uh, give you the Blue Gold Report. Again, we're going to break down the all-time Brian Kelly team uh, coming up. Offense. And then next week, we'll do defense. Actually, Todd did it, and I'll comment on it. Uh, But uh, 2019, I tell you, every day
2: I read the news, Todd, Mm -hmm. there's another player getting signed here for the future of uh, the Irish. And some really good ones. I'm going to jump ahead here real quick because I do want to talk at at length about the 2019. 2019 recruiting classes as as it comes together. But they also, this week, uh, which has been a monster recruiting week and a lot of good news here. All the camps and everything are going on right now. So, tis the season for sure. But a 2020 tight end by the name of Kevin Bauman. Check out this 6'5, 232 already. And he's a 2020 kid. He's He's a four star recruit. He's rated as the number two tight end in the nation and the number 142 player overall. The number four player in Jersey. He's from Red Bank, New Jersey. Where's that, Rags? Uh, I, it's on the shore, I believe.
1: Uh, I'm not positive, but I, I believe it's the North Jersey shore.
2: And uh, he becomes the second recruit for the 2020 class, joining four star, four star quarterback Drew Pine. But let's talk about this 2019. Let me get the local kid out of the way here first, Jack Kaiser. Um, he's from the Logansport, Indiana area. He's a three three star linebacker, six two two fifteen. So obviously has some growing to do. I thought what was interesting about Kaiser is that he he's goes to Pioneer High School. He was not only a linebacker, he was the quarterback of that team as oh. well. Yeah, and he led him to a state title. <laughs> so <laughs> kind kind of cool there. Um, he he became the twelfth member of the class that moved him up to number eight in the country when you're looking at, at uh, re- recruiting class rankings. Just a couple days later, they added a thirteenth that moved him up to six overall. Here we go, Osita Ekwanu. Another name I can butcher for the next five years. Uh, I butchered it earlier today on my
1: new on my sports (laughs) cast. So
2: he's also a linebacker. Rated as the fifth best player in North Carolina, Um, the number one eighty-one player overall. Check this list out. He had twenty-four offers that included Ohio State, Penn State, Alabama, Auburn, Michigan. So those those are some pretty powerful offers right there. He goes to Providence Day High School in Charlotte. Again, he's a four-star recruit. Uh, Notre Dame is really humming along, man, on these defensive recruits rags. They have 13 recruits for the class of 2019 as a whole, okay? Nine of them are on defense. Of those nine, seven are four-star guys, okay? Um, Pretty crazy stuff right there. I'm sorry, seven overall four-star recruits. Five on defense, two on the offensive line. My bad on that one. And and this guy adds to the list. A lot of people are saying this is by far, at least to the start here, Brian Kelly's best defensive haul. And and they compare, they're already trying to compare it to the 2011 class that brought in Aaron Lynch, Eshaq Williams, Stefan Tuitt, Jared Grace, Tony Springman, the Bishop Dwinger kid, Matthias Farley, among some others. Uh, So far, this class defensively, two defensive ends, two defensive tackles, two linebackers, two safeties, and one cornerback. So you have to like the balance there as well, Rags. We're going to keep an eye, but boy, this defensive hall, considering Mike Elko came and left, they are not missing a beat. And I think all, all of this recruiting news is really good news, and I expect the momentum to continue.
1: It is great news. The only thing I would caution is we're winning too many spring contests, not enough fall contests. So all these great recruiting classes coming in, I, to me, just need to translate into more wins going out in fall. That's all. I mean, it's great. You don't you don't want to lose in the spring. Right. But um, we get to rah-rah, you know, April, May, June. Sure. And then, you know, come October, November. Uh, that's all I'm saying. do <laughs> Not only Debbie Downer, but I guess I just was. <laughs>
2: um, um, no, it's hard, it's hard to argue with you. But, you know, a lot of people ask me during my travels and whatnot, does recruiting really, do these recruiting rankings really matter? You know, when you're talking about class. Right. And they do. They
1: must matter because a website like 24-7 Sports Now is beyond belief popular. They're doing their job. They're knowing what these guys, and they're often right. Let's exactly. Not, let's yeah. not forget I mean, guess, that.
2: You know, guess what? Ohio State and Alabama yeah. and, and Clemson, they're typically in the top five in yeah. recruiting. So when you're talking about Notre Dame having the number 6 class at this point, I definitely think it does matter.
1: All right, we do have a lot to do here today. Uh, Todd's going to break down the best offensive team under BK, all the players he's had and what they've looked like and who he thinks is the all-time team for Brian Kelly. And hopefully we add to that list over the next couple of years here. Um, But we're going to talk some defense now, too, because it seems like just yesterday... This kid was winning, you know, newcomer of the year here, Todd, and now uh, he's heading into his senior year. Uh, I, I couldn't believe he was three hundred pounds, but he is a three hundred pound uh, defensive lineman. Uh, talk of talk to us about Jerry Tillery and what, what you know, why you wanted to break this kid down.
2: Well, I, I'm doing a story, a yearbook story. It's a pretty in-depth package on Tillery um, for the Blue and Gold Illustrated Yearbook, and when that comes out, I'm actually going to pimp it a little bit here on air. Um, it, it's a great magazine, but. He's such an interesting guy, Rags. A lot of, you know, he b- busted on the scene as a freshman, was unbelievable, and then just kind of, you know, sophomore year, didn't kinda show a lot long, of improvement. Right? Yeah. And yeah. then last year, he kind of had a little bit of a breakout year. And now he's back for his senior season that he really didn't have to come back for, which is pretty interesting that he did. But I think what's fascinating is when you look at the coaches, the Notre Dame coaches, their biggest frustration with him was he has so many interests. He's, he's very worldly, and, and so... He does a lot of traveling. As a matter of fact, just since in, during his time at Notre Dame, he's been to Cape Town, South South Africa, Dublin, Ireland, Tokyo. He just got back from Tokyo, Japan, on a on a study mission. Venice. Uh, he went to Canada over Easter break. He wants to go to South Korea. That's in the works. And he's been to Hawaii four times. The most interesting trip to Hawaii was in January when he was laying on the beach there, wanting to make his decision on whether or whether <laughs> not to come back to Notre Dame for a fourth year. That's the day. I think I
1: know where you're going. <laughs> you with probably this. do.
2: That's the day that that false missile, incoming missile warning kind came of puts out. puts life
1: in perspective yeah, in a little bit, exactly.
2: There, huh? And he, he, he called his mom immediately from his cell phone, and she did anything that. Uh, what else could a mother do, half a world away? But she wow. told him to pray. Wow. <laughs> and obviously, it worked out well. Two days later, he was back at Notre Dame, announcing that he was going to come back for his fourth season. So, good news there. This clip here, we're going to run rags. It's Brian Kelly breaking down the evolution of Tillery as a player, and then Clark Lee talking about him as well. He's going to switch positions this year. He's going to move from a true up-front nose guard over a little bit. He's going to shift over and become more of a three-technique tackle type of, sure. type of position, which I think will serve him well. And then the last part of this clip is Tillery talking about Tillery. He's growing up. You know, I think he would
1: tell
3: you that his time here at Notre Dame has been extremely formative for him. He's learned a lot. He's made some mistakes. He's helped our football team.
1: Um, he's handled himself in the classroom uh, in a positive way.
0: Uh, he's going to have his degree, obviously, here uh, at Notre Dame. Uh, but I-, I would say that it's been a journey for him. And, um, you know, this year I think um, he's, he's, uh, he's been forced to be a leader much more than he's ever been
1: at any time Um, and I think we've put him in a great position from a football standpoint you know he's he's virtually unblockable at the three technique for us Um, he's a very difficult player to play so I think it's been a journey an evolution a maturity and but that's what happens here and that's what we hope that happens and I think he's a great example
0: of that I mean Jerry is you know a dynamic athletic defensive lineman and in a lot of ways, you know, um, the three technique position is where you want to have your most disruptive um, and athletic and he's a guy that in pass rush can have an impact from that spot, not always drawing the double team, you know, uh, having a little more one-on-one situationally um, from that position. Um, and so it's just it, it's just a little better fit that way, I would say. Um, and I think um, the things we ask, every position is a little different. I mean, we don't have 2 D de-tackles. We have a, a nose and a three. And so the things that we ask of those positions, it's not that he didn't do the nose position well, it's that you know the skill for the three techniques unique and we identify the things that he does well as being um, conducive to having success in that role. So he, he's done a great job. I think he's already you know, made his presence felt in there. And it is different and so I would imagine, you know, work through the end of the spring to the summer, you know, in the fall camp. We'll we'll see more strides. There'll be more room for growth there too.
2: How different are you from when you walked in the door here from the first time to now, you know, getting ready to finish up your last season here? How do you change kinda of walk me through your
0: evolution if you would?
3: So I mean I had it you know, all I'd known is, you know, northwest Louisiana and then the people there and you know, that way of life. And uh, I think, as I've you know come to Notre Dame, I've gotten to see the world and grow as a person and see more people and experience more things and uh, play a lot, play some really good football. So I think, uh, so I think I've I've just grown. I've I've seen you know the
2: the possibilities grow so much. Obviously. Long football career ahead, but you're, you're, you have a lot of interest. You're, you're a mm-hmm. unique guy. Where do you see yourself up the line? Life after football? How do you How do you envision that? Uh, I think I think I
3: you know I'm the type of person who can really um, who can really like adapt to different environments. So I don't know you know where I'll be after my football career, but I
2: think wherever I land, I'll be able to, to thrive and succeed there. What was your toughest time here? When, when, which, I'm going to ask you what your best time was, but what was your toughest time? Maybe your lowest low. Uh, I think my first year, uh, I started so well, and like I was,
3: I was, you know, I had so much success early, and then, um, and then, you know, my play kind of fell, and then, and like, I, and then I was just like confused, and I wasn't, you know, things weren't going the way I wanted, and like I was, <clears throat> I was, you know, not the man anymore, you know. So, uh, so just having to work through that. And uh, I think that's really that's really affected me in terms of when I see you know things aren't going the way I want them. Just to keep focusing on uh, on, on the little things and things will get better. What did you have to concentrate to pull yourself through that? What what were some of the keys to get you through that low time? So it was one day at a time. Like, like I, I, I wasn't able to see. I, I was always looking forward, like looking at oh my gosh we're playing uh, what was it Texas at home and at, at night. Uh, I was I was that was my only focus. It wasn't like I wasn't focusing on practice. This, you know, uh, this drill in practice. You know, working through this, the uh, souls connecting, like the
2: little drills, like the little things to you know the big picture of seeing success. So when you talk about the, when we talked about the lows, about the highs. Is this is this where you feel your best? Oh, absolutely.
3: Yeah, so I, feel, I, I mean, I've, I've never played this well, you know. I've, I've never been so focused on the, on the little things, and you know, I've, I've focused like he's, like I just you know explained on connecting each each drill that we do to to success on the field.
1: That's interesting stuff, there, Todd, for sure. Now, uh, you said you're working on an article. Uh, let people know like when, when and where they could probably find this article. I just turned it in, Rags. I don't
2: know when the time comes and I have more details and when that yearbook is going to be released. I certainly will pass that along. It's a it's a about 144 page publication we do every year through blue and gold illustrated a lot of great features Position-by-position position breakdowns, awesome. opponent breakdowns, recruiting, the whole works. It's a great, and, and when I find more details and one that is released, I'll certainly let folks know.
1: And that's a good conversation piece for anybody around uh, water coolers, campfires, or anything. What would you do if you got that text saying right. the missiles are coming? <laughs> wow, it's funny. I mean, we could laugh about it now, but uh, gosh, it must have been scary. Let's stick with the defense here now, because I know you had a chance to talk spring ball uh, with, uh, with defensive coordinator Clark Lee for a little bit, too.
2: Yeah, he, he it was a regular press conference. He spoke for about 35 minutes. I cut this down to 10. I tried to hit the highlights, or at least what I thought were the highlights. So I'll kind of give you a lineup here of what to expect as we go. There's quite a bit of Drew Tranquil here, uh, so look forward to that. There are a few questions about him, mainly switching positions from Rover to linebacker. I think that's going to be a good move for him and for the team. He talks about the defensive line and how he's really pleased with how they're progressing and, and what we see so far. You know, we talked about, there's been a lot of speculation he hasn't played yet. Aloe Gilman, the safety, you know, the transfer from Navy. A lot of high marks on this kid. Where, where does he stand? He's obviously going to be in the rotation this year after having to sit out his transfer year last year. A couple 50-year seniors on the defense, you know, including Tranquil. He talks about the impact those guys make. Tranquil, obviously a two-time captain. Uh, and then the freshman impact. You know, these guys are now on campus, and there's some there's Shane Simon. Well, he'll, he'll talk about him specifically. He's expected to step in right away and get a lot of playing time, and then finally, just what happens in the off season? What are the goals he has for his team during this off season when the coaches are away and it's up to the players to advance? So it's a, it's a pretty it's it's ten minutes. It's a pretty interesting interview.
0: How would you evaluate the move of Tranquil from from Rover to Buck, and then how that's impacted the Rover position? Well, I think first of all, uh, to answer your question on Drew, I think he's handled the position really well. I think it's a, a fit for him. I mean, that is a um, big, strong, explosive player that handles himself, um, you know, well from tackle to tackle. That position also has to play in space, too. So some of the things he learned and kind of honed as a rover are applying to what he's doing at Buck. Clark Drew was a bit of a playmaker at the rover position. Does that change the way you, Use him at the bookbinder linebacker position, and are those same kind of opportunities there for him? Uh, Your first question, yes. Um, You feel like you can do more with him uh, in that role um, because you know what he's done to the field, and there's less, there's it's confined space over there. So you know, um, and those are subtle things; they're not drastic, right? But I mean, as as you craft defense, you recognize his skills. what was your second question? Do you, do you kind of create more opportunities for him So because of that? Um, yeah, it, all in all, just subtle ways. Not, not in anything that's necessarily groundbreaking. It's, it's more like um, um, you have adjustments to calls where he could do A or do B. You know, doing A, he's protected. Doing B, he's out on his own a little more. He'd be a little more likely to do B with him.
3: What have your impressions been of that
0: defensive line this spring? I think Coach Elson's done a great job. I think those guys are balled in. I think it's, you know, probably from top to bottom, you know, our most steady position group right now. I mean, they they have good depth, they have experienced depth. Um, A guy like Jameer Jones has stepped in and solidified that. Like, I think he's done a great job. Um, You know, I'm really excited for those guys. I mean, it's it's and they're excited. You can tell by the way they practice. You know they've really taken taken to this year two um, a deeper understanding um, more physical in the middle more dynamic off the edges i mean all that stuff is coming into play so um i'm not trying to oversell it you know you always got to be careful there but i do think that you know we're we feel good about where the front is and we're excited to watch them uh, continue to progress through the fall
3: What are your questions, been of Alohi? We've asked a lot of questions to a lot of people about him, just because we didn't get to see him play last year. He was telling us, I guess, on Saturday just how difficult it was to not be able to to play in the fall.
0: Yeah. Um, Alohi, you know, um, first of all, he's a a special kid um, in a – you know, he, he's a guy that in, in one year has, has made an impact from a leadership standpoint. Like, the guys follow him. They listen to him. They trust him. It's its apparent. He's consistent. He's dependable. Um, all the things that you would want, um, you know, I mean, he, he's got a – he's got it, you know, as a leader. And, um, you know, we, we want to harness that and, and let that – that shine as he goes i think i think right now he's dealing with just you know being a year removed and and in truth you know as he was on scout teams in the fall he wasn't necessarily engaging in reps and practice and so i think there's a learning curve for him this spring but you know i've been pleased with how he's fought through it and at times he's flashed and other times you know we've had learning experiences and i mean that's just part of the growth process i mean we identify him as a guy that can help us um you know i think that the depth back there is yet to sh- really take shape, um, and um, you know we're not in a hurry to to dictate who you know, who's the one, who's the two. But he, he's certainly a guy that's in the mix, and we've been really excited and pleased with how he's come along. And I think again from practice one to practice thirteen, a guy that has made strides in understanding what he's supposed to be getting done.
1: Important has it been to have three fifth-year guys in that defense? Really set the tone very long.
0: No, it's I mean I I don't know that you can speak to the importance it's like um, you know exactly who to go to when things don't feel right Um, they're they're a resource for me to get a pulse in the locker room they're a resource for me to make sure my message is impactful and not you know too repetitive or too mundane Um, you know those guys um, they set the tone for us they you know they've come to work all spring I mean it's easy too The, the cool thing to me about it all is you know, those are guys that have NFL futures. They're, you know, they came back for, you know, their one last hurrah here. And in so many ways, this could have been cruise control for them through the spring. I think that's human nature in a lot of ways. And to a man, each, each one of those guys has, has worked with a purpose. And, in, in not, and not just, um, I'm not just talking about, like, chasing me from drill to drill. Like, I'm saying, like, I see them working on their craft and taking the coaching points and applying the coaching points. Um, And at times that requires them to fight instincts on the field to make sure they're executing the right way. And they've done that. And so it's been exciting to watch, been a lot of fun. And, and, you know, with guys like that buying into that level, the the youth in the roster, um, you know, kind of tends to follow the lead. So I think they've enhanced the culture on defense uh, for sure with the uh, June arriving freshmen
2: coming in, do you feel like there will be a need for some of them to push into
1: playing time? Do you Are you open to them pushing into playing time?
0: Yes and yes. Um, I, when I say need, um, I don't mean that I see gaping holes in what we do. I just, I just think you, you always want to, you know, if when we recruit the, at the right level here, you're not bringing guys in that aren't capable. They're not all gonna be capable. They're at varying levels. But the, the idea is that you, you are giving opportunity for competition. I mean, that's what we promise in recruiting. And so they're gonna get it. I mean, they're gonna get reps. They're gonna get meaningful reps. We're gonna see what they can handle. And if they, you know, it's a long season. So maybe a guy comes in and shows he's our best option at position X. Um, and he has the, the mental aptitude to execute at a high level by the time we play Michigan, well, then he's gonna be out there, you know, in a role, in a capacity. Maybe there's a guy that has a physical skill set that says that he's gonna be able to do it for us, uh, but maybe he's, he, he needs a little more time to slow the game down, you know. Um, that, that's a guy that may, um, you know, play on teams earlier and have a, a smaller piece of the pie, so to speak, and then all of a sudden, mid-year, when you, when you have injury or when you have things happen, you've got a guy that's ready to play. And so um, we'll need everybody, you know, that we, that we think is playable to be ready, and, and those guys will get looks and get chances um, for sure. With, with a guy like Shane Simon, is, is that a guy that you can just haven't seen him on film and get to know him, project, and have an idea of how he might be able to help you really have to see him here before you get that sense? Uh, I'm really excited for Shane. I think we approach things right now. um, It's unfair to him to project what he will be able to do um, because there's just a lot that goes into that. And so as I am excited for him and I have a plan to execute with him in terms of when he arrives, um, you know, um, I, I I want to be surprised by what he's capable of helping us with this year. And if he proves himself capable, just like in, any of the other guys coming in, uh, we will absolutely have a place for him. What What's going to be on the top of the agenda post-spring with your defense? What What's something that you're going to have to accomplish later in the spring with getting this defense where you want it? The thing that, that we need to do as a defensive unit is, we need that leadership to shine from, you know, May to through July, right like we need those guys to take hold of the coaching and the technical progressions. We need to equip them with things they can do to enhance their workouts, you know hey, five minutes of skill develop um, here and there, hey, taking you know freshmen under their wings, you know um, you know when we do player run practices that they're done in a manner that, that, um, that, that you know, simulate what, what real practice is like. And I think in year two, you can expect that. Um, year one is all learning experience. Year two, I think we're gonna default to that level. I don't know if that makes sense to you. And so the work that can be done from May through July when when you know again it's humbling as a coach because you realize how important you are when like you you leave and you know you're recruiting or you know you you go on vacation or you're doing high school camps you come back in august and all of a sudden you're looking at a team that's totally transformed it's in a different place than they were and you realize that you had nothing to do with it you know it was their leadership their choices and maybe you set the course you know maybe you you know give them the the tools but um you know it'll be huge for us so
1: uh, I can't tell you how excited people are in Fort Wayne are for Tranquil and what he's going to mean for this team and, and beyond. I mean, yeah. Let's face it, because his future is bright and being moved to this new position now, he's definitely going to get showcased more. Uh, and I can only hope that he, you know, no injuries, barring any injuries, we could see uh, some good things, like a certain defensive player that's in Dallas right now who had to see some obstacles, and obviously his
2: future is bright. Hopefully we see the same thing for Drew. Yeah, and we're going to talk about, we're going to do the top 10, or, or the all-time Brian Kelly lineup on offense. Hopefully, when we get to defense next week, or when we do this again next year, True yeah. Tranquil will be on that list. Todd,
1: before we get to the uh, all-time offense for
2: Brian Kelly,
1: there was a new red-shirt rule that you wanted to talk about that just came out this week that you know our listeners need to know about and kind of react to it, and you know your thoughts on it, and
2: we'll, we'll you know kind of break it down. It's an impactful rule. It's a really interesting rule. And it, I think the, the story I read, I thought, brought up a great example. If you remember Jay Hayes, the defensive lineman mm-hmm. here, in 2014, he was expected to redshirt, okay? They didn't want to play him, they wanted to develop him. Well, both Shelton Day and Daniel Cage got hurt. So Brian Kelly was in a tough spot there. You know, they were 10 games into the season, rags. This is in November. So, a game 11 coming up against Louisville, what are you going to do? They didn't. They were, felt like they were left with no choice, so they activated Jay Hayes, tried to get him practice reps, played him, but because of that, it cost him a year of eligibility, basically for playing yeah, one game. That's stupid. So a lot of lobbying has been going on behind the scenes to the NCAA, saying, "Look, we got to give. There, there has to be some buffer here for us for situations like this." And the NCAA agreed. And what they did now, Rags? Okay, let me back up a tick here. You have five years to complete four seasons of your eligibility. Obviously, medical redshirts can bring in sixth in, in unique six circumstances. But what happens now is you can play up to four games and still preserve your redshirt year. That's awesome. That's going to give the coaches a lot of flexibility. Sure. I, I remember, you know, for instance, last year Miami Ohio that game, Notre Dame was up forty five seventeen going into the fourth quarter. Okay, so they put in Ian Book for Wimbush. Okay, and then they really wanted to get a look at Avery Davis. Who was the third string quarterback? But they couldn't because if he played, his eligibility was burnt. So they end up playing Montgomery Van Gorder in that spot. Now you're going to have a situation, be it in a blowout or injuries late in the season, those types of things where you can be able to plug in these freshmen. And I think about it, Phil Jerkovich, the the quarterback coming in. You know, if Notre Dame's blown out Ball State, he may get some reps, some meaningful reps, and I think it means a lot. I think it's an important rule, and I think it's good for the kids. Certainly going to be for good for the coaches. To be, get a look at your freshmen, get them plugged in if the situation presents itself. I think it's an important rule. I think it's a good rule. Are they in danger of
1: because um, you know people are going to manipulate it? Absolutely. Look, uh, this kid sucks for three games. It's almost as if you in in baseball you have uh, you have the ability to send down a player a certain amount of mm-hmm. times to the minor leagues. Are they in danger of saying he's just not progressing this year? It's been three games. There's no injury. Let's just redshirt him the rest of the year. Sure. And, and, I mean, is there something I, wrong with that, though? I, I don't. It, it, it's manipulating the system, so to speak, and the fact that, look, you start with a roster, you should end with that same roster, um, unless barring injury. I, I just, I don't know. I don't. I like the idea that they can. Uh, develop a player at their own speed. I just feel like some teams are at a certain disadvantage because they won't have the depth that yeah. an Alabama will have, where they won't be able to say this kid isn't developing. Let's redshirt him and save a year. They won't have that, you know. So the bigger schools are going to benefit from something like that. I would believe.
2: Yeah. Well, the rich always get richer, and we're going to talk about another rule change next week when we have a little bit more time. Uh, uh, overall, uh, it
1: sounds like a great. It, it works for the players, especially if something happens uh, catastrophically where they can't after three games. They get hurt, you know, and and they can redshirt and, and and save a year. But I can just see, you know, the you know you know the teams, you know the the, the Nick Sabans and and such that they're going to take advantage of this. And well, we have another guy here, so let's just redshirt to him, and we won't have, have to worry about that year.
2: Yeah, and, and teams like Alabama, they have all those. Blow, State, they have all those all blowout bl- wins, and and that helps. That you know they have a lot of. Situations where they can plug in these kids. I see what you're saying. I don't disagree with you at all. But I think I think ultimately it's good for the player. Maybe I think that's it's
1: good for the sport. It yeah. is uh, because we see too many bad stories like the one you you talked about, where uh, things go wrong and you've got no other choice to to kind of remedy it. All right, Todd, you took some time and you thought, hey, let's take a look. We didn't do this for Charlie Weiss. We're going to do this for Brian Kelly, the all Brian Kelly team, although Charlie Weiss's all-time team offensively would probably be pretty good. We it should basically, do that. We should
2: actually put them head on head. It actually, basically it might be One,
1: interesting. one, one college, you know. His team, but they were really good. He's put up a lot of points. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, we talked about it earlier. The rule was they had to have at least played two years with Brian Kelly. And you broke down an all-time team. You want to start with the QB, or do you want to build up to the suspense of the QB?
2: No. Let's just let's run it down from top to bottom. I I kind of went back and forth a little bit. Deshaun Kaiser versus Everett Golson, but I chose Kaiser. Um, Fifty-eight hundred career passing yards, sixty-one completion percentage. Um, what did he have? He had sixty-five TDs, nineteen picks. Obviously a good, nice rusher too. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sort of interesting because the numbers with Golson that they're almost identical. The passing numbers with Everett Golson that surprised me. Um, they actually threw the identical number of passing touchdowns. Wow! And Golson had one more interception. So that surprised me very much. I, I would have thought Kaiser would have ran away with the statistical head-on-head yeah. head there. But just, I don't know, both both quarterbacks played well to start and then digressed, as most guys. Well, don't and, do it, Rags, don't and do it.
1: <laughs> not, and both quarterbacks need help from another quarterback during their tenure as well. Let's add that.
2: Yeah, for sure. So I think I'm going to go with Kaiser there in, in what was a little bit closer than I thought it was when I first went on this uh Any consideration this for Mr. Thomas Reese? Nah, nah, he's a, he's a coach now. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Here is a little bit of a tough one. There was some debate online when I looked at this. I I think I was kind of doing my primary running back would be Josh Adams. Um, I mean, keep in mind, he had 835 yards of Notre Dame record as a freshman, then 933 as a sophomore, then obviously his junior and final season, and 1,386 yards for a total of 3,154, which is right up there. I mean, if he would have come back for his senior year, he would be leaving here as Notre Dame's all-time leading rusher. Had 20 TDs, caught another 38 passes, so a decent receiver. Um, The other one, so I put him ahead of C.J. Proceis. Proceis would be my second back here. Obviously, he was kind of a one-hit wonder one season, 1,155 yards. Had a 6.9 yards per carry average. Did have 12 TDs. Caught 62 balls, which has been impressive for his career, for 896 yards, another three touchdowns there. So I give Adams the advantage over Proceis, but those would be my two backs. If you want kind of a third option, Theo Riddick. A you third know? down back. Yeah, very say. much a third down back, well put. Yeah, 364 touches, had 2,400 yards from scrimmage and 13 TDs. Obviously not huge numbers there, but a third down back, I think, is exactly what you have there.
1: Well, well and interesting to see here is, uh, obviously, Adams, we're, we're, we're waiting on him, and Kaiser had a disastrous season. He wasn't ready to quarterback the Browns, and I'm talking NFL here, but ProSize and Riddick have had nice starts to their pro careers, and that's really encouraging stuff there, and a lot of it – you know, the development of running back seems to be a thing now at uh, Notre Dame, which uh, only hopes that uh, good things for Josh Adams – he had to wait a while and, and went to the Eagles, and they've got sixty-two running backs in their backfield. Right. But we'll wait and see, I and mean, hopefully, uh, no injury problems for Josh Adams because that's really what limited him last and year.
2: There you go, and that seems to be among these uh, development of running backs here at Notre Dame. The other common thread is they're they're all in; they just they can't stay healthy. Yep. And that's size, that's Adams. That's that's been an ongoing problem. With such a good offensive line, you think they'd yeah. be a little healthier? Yeah, even Tony Alford was fighting injuries all year last year. Uh, moving on to wide receiver, this is a tough one. This, again, is the great debate here. Um, and This went back and forth online. I pick Michael Floyd as my alpha male at this position. Um, 271 receptions, 3,684 yards, a 13.6 yards per per catch, had 37 TDs. Obviously, he played a lot more games than Will Fuller did. Will Fuller was uh, left early. Uh, Fuller had 144 receptions, 2,500 yards. A 17.4 yards per catch average, which was four yards more than Floyd. And he had 30 touchdowns. Again, Floyd had 37. So in a much shorter time frame in yeah, sample size, yeah. uh, Fuller had 30 TDs. I, now, it's, you
1: did go 1-2. You put them both there. So you did a true football team, right? Yes, so, yeah, yeah, that's what yeah, i trying right. to But yeah. I, I
2: wanted to kind of rate him by position when yeah. he had more than one player uh, gone there.
1: I, I don't know, Rags. I, 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 I would have went Fuller personally. You? Well, you know what the problem is, is I... I let knuckleheads affect how I think. And Michael Floyd hasn't been yeah. the most upstanding citizen, uh, even with Notre Dame. Yeah. So uh, if I was, and Fuller played less amount of time. So I would have went Fuller once. You had one-two right, I probably would have flip-flopped him.
2: Yeah, I, and, I, it, and I, it seemed to be, I was surprised because I thought Floyd was would kind of be a runaway, maybe a 75-25. Sure. But actually more most folks were talking about Fuller than they were Floyd, which surprised me a little bit. Here's a little interesting nugget on these two. Floyd scored a touchdown once every 7.3 receptions, which is pretty impressive, yeah. right? Fuller once every 4.8 receptions. Yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe Fuller does get a bit of an advantage there. Um, if you want to talk about a third receiver, um, uh, T.J. Jones probably had a pretty good career here. Um, I certainly wouldn't put him at the, at the level of Floyd and Fuller during his time here, but certainly he was he was very more much more than a serviceable wide receiver. Moving on to tight end, uh, Tyler Eifert, the obvious choice, two thousand nine, two
1: thousand twelve. Here, yeah, that wasn't even. Cl- I mean, yeah.
2: yeah, right. I couldn't. I, you know, I was thinking Troy Nicholas and Ben Koyak. I wouldn't even put them as as honorable mentions, even though they're both playing in the NFL. Um, those would be the two names you could at least put into the
1: conversation. But Again, yeah, Tyler, health, and we'd be talking about one of the best tight ends in the pros. Sure.
2: So uh, yeah. the one year he was healthy was a monster year. Caught for uh, eighteen hundred forty yards here with eleven TDs, and keep in mind, you know. He he, Tommy Reese was the guy throwing I to know, him for the most yeah. part, and even Everett Golson when he was having his crummy year. Um, so it was kind of interesting right there. That uh, just think if he would have had a Kaiser or somebody like that to yeah. throw to him, I thought that was kind of interesting. So they've been tight end you, now they're more
1: O-line you, and with Brian Kelly, so this must have been hard to come up with. Uh, and I know, I see in your notes, you went specific to position on offensive line so yeah. it, um, maybe it got a little easier because you did that. To
2: be honest with you, Rags, these five guys really stood far and above, and man, this is a powerful lineup. I went left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, obviously already a starter in the NFL, uh, left guard, Quentin Nelson, soon to be a starter, <laughs> yep. dominant starter yep. in the NFL. Nick Martin at center um, does a nice job there. You know, I think you could almost make a case for Sam Mustafer, a current player here. I didn't come up with a lot of current players. I, I'll have a few on defense. I couldn't, didn't really have a lot of current players offensively that were in the conversation sure. I think Mustafer could be. Uh, right card Zach Martin, we talked about him earlier and his $84 million. And then Mike McGlinchey, another rookie, uh, had him at right tackle. Think about this, Rags. In 2015, all four of those guys started together. Take Zach Martin out of the out of the equation. Wow. You had Ronnie Stanley, Quentin Nelson, Nick Martin, and Mike McGlinchey. They all played together. Did the quarterback get touched at all? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just to give you a little bit of perspective on just how dominant these guys are, among this group is two number number six picks in the NFL draft, a number nine pick in the NFL draft, a number sixteen pick in the NFL draft, and then Nick Martin brings up the rear at, at number fifty pick. So. Man, when you're talking I would about argue
1: it. that this is all-time Notre Dame offensive line. You could almost you, make that absolutely. argument beyond
2: Brian Kelly. Absolutely. You would have a tough time uh, since 2010 when Brian Kelly got here assembling any other school that can put this kind of five-pack out there. Um, again, you have three first-team All-Americans, a third-team All-American on that list. Uh, yeah, I, I, I had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, Chris Watt uh, was a manageable player there, and I mentioned Mustafer. Those would kind of be the two guys that perhaps – could be in the conversation, but that is one powerful five pack, and then that's what I came with offensively. Regs, uh,
1: is it one powerful team though? Put them all together, would this team all at one time be pretty substantial no, on the I, field I, uh, against an Alabama? Did you oh, know? Yeah, yeah so you, definitely. Yeah, so I if, mean,
2: if, think about those two wide an, receivers and a Tyler Eifert. No, it's and, true. I just worry about the quarterback. No, I don't know. I mean, with that line blocking for him true
1: <laughs> well most catch, of it right? did yeah true, <laughs> true. <laughs> um uh, it's it's a great debate and i'm glad you did it and you know i threw out that caveat from charlie weiss but you know you said it maybe if we did that for weiss and and lined up that team talk about wide receivers and and running backs and quarterbacks i mean he had one he had a great quarterback wide receiver tandem there ain't no doubt about hey, that yeah. so
2: i'll save these notes i want to do that this summer
1: uh, I wanted it to be formidable. The offensive line would be hard to stack up against. So it's fun though. Good job. Next week we'll take care of the defense, which should be uh, as interesting as well. Uh, Todd, great job. Another show in the books here. Obviously, the Blue Gold Report is brought to you by Dio McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Again, rate us, like us, comment us on what you think of the podcast wherever you may listen. And of course, we'll do it all over again next week. Todd, sounds good, Rags. <laughs>
0: This has been a presentation of Opt In Productions.
1: Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.